Hello and welcome to the Football Roundup here on Energy Sport. We're back to a bit of normality now with Scottish Premiership action each weekend giving us here a chance to get a structure in place for the coming year. For some context, you'll be getting us here at the Football Roundup on Monday or Tuesday while our good friends over at Extra Time will be bringing you their show later in the week. I'm Jack Donnelly and today I'm joined by Struan Garvey who's been with me for about a year on this show now. We've kind of been tried and tested through the ringer with this so far. But two boys that haven't been tried and tested yet on this show anyway. But you'll they'll be familiar to you if you've ever heard the fancy football show from Radio Energy. Uh, Graeme Sinclair and Taylor Murray, it's good good to have you boys here. Ah, it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Hi, Jack. Hi, Graeme. <laughs> uh, so the biggest story since our last show was, of course, Bayern Munich's utter dominance over Barcelona in Friday night's Champions League quarter-final tie. Uh, with the German champions running out as winners and a thumping 8-2 scoreline, today's opening question is fairly simple. What is the biggest humiliation you've ever seen in football? Now, this doesn't necessarily have to be just a result in a game. It can be any instance involving someone within football that could be defined as humiliating. Uh, Graham, I'm going to come to you with this one first. Okay, well... Yes, mate, and uh, instantly the first thing that came to my head, and it kind of becomes a bit, the blow's kind of softened in this one because the boy owns up to it. But uh, Italia 90, a uh, certain match of the day presenter called Gary Lineker, <laughs> had, a, had an accident in his own shorts. He did. In an important game. And yeah, that's just about it. He cracked himself. He did. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> no, no, that is. He pipped <laughs> his pants. <laughs> It's a fairly uncommon occurrence, you're not wrong. I, I, I feel bad for the guy because anything he tweets, <laughs> the guarantee is someone will respond with, uh, well, we'll not use the actual word, but defecated on pitch. <laughs> or the, also or a mention of a particular type of crisps as well. Oh, they've I'll tied it in the walkers, of course, as well. <laughs> the, the, poor ba- the poor man just doesn't get an escape from it. It's, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head with what humiliation we're kind of going for here. Yeah, it, he owns up to it and he'll laugh about himself because he needs to do that because otherwise he's just known as a guy that cracked on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I think, oh, well, it wasn't on the pitch, but who was? I think it was Jason Punchin. Did he not come out late? Yeah. <laughs> late oh, for yeah. kickoff? At, oh, I can't remember who he was playing for. I think it was Crystal Palace. I think it was Palace and the crowd just started chanting <laughs> about his halftime antics, I suppose you could call them. So I think there's a fairly similar situation, but. Struan, what would you what would you say for this? Would you what comes to mind when you say football humiliation? Well, I've I've been thinking more towards a team than an, than an individual. And on an individual, I would have maybe gone for the John Terry slip. But on a team basis, I, I would go for the Barcelona PSG when PSG had a four nil aggregate lead against Barcelona mm. and managed to throw it away in a five one defeat in the next game with a last minute equaliser from Sergio Roberto, which I think is probably one of the most humiliating Champions League. Eliminations has ever been. I think it's got to be up there. I think I think you're right, and um, I mean we'll probably get onto it a little bit later. But Barcelona have kind of adopted a fairly uh, unfortunate tendency to let things like that happen more often than not in recent years. Anyway, uh, Taylor, what about yourself? See, I feel like there's many howlers that I can think about, uh, especially individual ones, especially in the Scottish league. You see them left, right, and centre, but the one that Always, when you said this, comes to my mind straight away. And I still, to this day, don't understand why he done it. But Chipper Moting's clearance off, his, off the line when it was going to go in. 
yeah, where it was for patients. Yeah. Like, generally, it, all you had to do was literally just tap it in. It looks like he literally tried to hit it off the post and make it go in, but he just cleared it. And it is, I, it's no, a great clearance. Honestly, I have no clue why he done it. I mean, you might not have a clue. I'm sure he does because as uh, kind of earlier week fixtures proved, Chupamoting always knows what he's doing. And, and anything he does is within reason because he will put you through to a Champions League semi-final one day and then clear a surefire goal off the line the other. One, one of life's mysteries is uh, Chupamoting, I suppose you could say. I think my, my, mine, mine would evolve a player as well. This was one that I kind of thought of. Uh, did anyone remember, and I need to get his name right here, uh, Santiago Virginia? Oh. You might know him for scoring potentially one of the best own goals in Premier League history. In the 8-0 win for Southampton over Sunderland back from about 2014 or so. Big, went up in the air. And he goes to clear it out, and oh. from, from the from the edge of his box, just smacks <laughs> one top exactly bins, one. <laughs> smacks one top bins into his own net. See, to be honest, that that is just outstanding. Like, if that's a striker, you talk about that basically world class. I mean, it's, it's, it's a world class finish. It's why we're still talking about it now, I suppose, because it's. Uh, uh, like when soccer game used to do like like uh, one of the show like stupid things in football, and the boy, I think it was Yobo Town, goes to clear it over his own head and kicks it off his own head, and he goes into the front on goal. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that is the kind of stuff that I like watching more league football for because you you wouldn't get that in you wouldn't even get that in like Fulham versus West Brom next season like that's not going to happen but Yeovil versus Stevenage that's it's a guarantee half the time. Uh, so with that with that out of the way we'll get started with uh the action closest to home and that came in the forms from Scottish Premiership action over the weekend. Of course, both Celtic and Aberdeen missed out this weekend as their clash at Parkhead was postponed due to members of both first teams uh, breaching COVID regulations. Uh, it was a bit of a weird weekend overall, with a few unexpected results, I would say, and we'll start off with Sunday's game at the fabled Spaghetti Had Stadium, uh, Tony Macaroni Arena, in which Livingston held current league leaders Rangers to a 0-0 draw. The home side will be very happy to take a point away from this game, especially considering their lacklustre start to the season. Meanwhile, Stephen Gerrard's side will be frustrated not to have gotten all three points. Taylor, we'll be coming to you first with this one. Uh, Livingston kept Rangers at bay for the whole of the game, with the away side holding 78% possession in the first half without a shot on target. I mean, if you're, if you're a Livingston fan, you're very happy with that result, surely. Well, look at this way. Livingston at home last season only conceded eight goals, and they have turned the Macaroni Arena and a base. They the Macaroni Arena and a fortress for themselves. However, saying that they conceded eight goals at home last season, they shipped four in one game against Hibs uh, the week before, mm. or the two, two weeks before. I can't remember exactly. However, so they looked like they weren't solid, but Gary Holt for this game got them back to what they know best: defending resolute. Keeping it compact and basically frustrating, um, basically Rangers, and I can see that that's going to be the way it comes when if when Aberdeen, Celtic all come, the teams that will probably press on a little bit more. I can see them probably doing that again, but when you look at it this way, Rangers had seven hundred twenty nine passes, but only three shots on target. It just shows the fact that they just weren't getting like the shots on target that mm. full game, and Livingston were doing their job basically and frustrating them for shots. Overall, Rangers did have 23 shots, but the fact is Livingston 
compacted him out of having uh, trouble to keep her three times and one of them being a free kick just proves that, that Gary Holt has got a team that will, is very rigid and will work well together. Graham, I'll come to you here because and historically in our, in our group chats, you and Taylor have tended to have some contrasting views on Rangers' fortunes a lot of the time. Um, there's some... Uh, there's, you've, you've put across some opinions which each of you have battered down quite swiftly, but... Um, looking at the Rangers side of things with this one, would Gerard and his side come away with this one quite frustrated that this that the fact that Rangers had so many attacking players involved and attacking talent in their team that they couldn't find a way to break this Livingston side down? Well, before I just eviscerate Rangers, lovely. You got to give credit to Livingston Absolutely. for the way they played. They did defend fantastically well, and they did their job. They kept their shape. They got a foot in everything. Having said that, they got that because Rangers completely and totally applied into their own their hands. Rangers played two holding midfielders in this game for 90 minutes against a team that, no offence to them, had very little ambition to try and score goals. And I'm not criticising that. I know some Rangers fans are. That's what Livingston and the teams that are built at the bottom of the league should do against the for them to just try and sit in, hope for a point and maybe get a lucky breakaway for a set piece. From the Rangers side of things... If they played a more attacking role, not played so conservative, Rangers would have picked up the three points here. And you can tell as a fan, there's a Barisic free kick late in this game, and that was the only moment where I thought, I thought we Rangers we had to score that goal because if we don't, there's no way we're scoring any other way, mm. because we're playing so negative, so conservative, that it's just there's no way we're gonna score. They took off Morelos and they did the goal. They didn't take off Jack Kamara, who alongside being two holding midfielders, were both crap. They're both <laughs> terrible. They played dreadful. The fact that they didn't bring off one of them at half time when it was clear what Lovey's game plan was, it's just an embarrassment and the coaching staff for me are all to blame for that. No, I think it does kinda of speak volumes. I don't I don't personally I just, because I didn't see this game, I just don't understand why someone on the bench no, it didn't even have to be Gerard himself, it could have been anyone that could have suggested Look, we need to try and inject something to be able to break this Livingston side down. Why are we keeping the two kind of defensive midfielders on? But it's kind of it's in the past now, and it's kind of happened. So I think Gerard might need to uh, um, change up his game plan for games like that but in the future. He's had three. Uh, he's had three years of basically coming up against teams like this, and he's still as. As much as I think he's a great addition to Scottish football and I actually would love him to stay in this, that, I think he might fall on his own sword if he doesn't learn how to deal with a low-block teams like this. It's alright coming up against Celtic, teams that will attack you in Europe, basically wearing back foot, basically doing what Livingston are doing, but going for a goal. However, when we're coming up against teams that actually are sitting compact and basically trying to uh, stifle Rangers' attack, We've just got the uh, Rangers just have have any creativity in that. I'm not saying they've not got creative players, but if if one or two things don't work, they're all ideas for that. And as Graham and you said, both having two centre defensive midfielders in against teams like that, that is criminal. It's like you need to sacrifice one of them for more attacking options against that. It might be a bigger risk, but you need to be brave. Gerard has said that his players need to be brave in the ball. He needs to be brave in actual making. The tactical uh, decision of putting more uh, attack in against teams that are sitting back. Perhaps the strangest thing about it is that last season, during not 
this time last season was like, also like August, late August, September. They actually worked it out. They played Aberdeen at home and smashed them 5-0. With Hamilton at home smashed them 5-0. And they actually worked out how to break a low block. And it was by playing more attacking players and getting runs in behind and having some fantastic movement. And it's like that run after the break has scarred them and made them so nervous that they just don't want to lose now for the, the, the criticism rather than win the games. I think for for me as well, it kind of it baffled me, especially because this result would have put them. Had they got the three points, would have put them what eight points ahead of Celtic. But yes, eight points ahead of Celtic if they'd gotten the win, and in the season where they look, they really want, they kind of need to uh, win the title if they if they want to avoid Celtic having bragging rights over over them uh, with ten in a row. They really with games like this and of trying to beat the teams with a low block, they really should and as Taylor said, be playing those extra attacking players. But it just kinda confused me as to why the game plan didn't change and just well, stuck with what he was doing. So with that being said, I c- I can see even Celtic going there and still really struggling. Aye, oh, it's like yeah. it's gotta be it's not gonna be the first time we'll see this this season, but it's just one of the ones where you expect like Rangers and Celtic going blown away. It's but it's because it's Gary Holt's got them. And I'm not going to lie, I'm not making excuses, but I don't think the pitch helps. I think that's criminal having them in the good. top flight. I was going to even mention, I mentioned it at the start of the game, so it's not like I'm just taking it off the back of the result. That pitch is the worst in the league by far. Mm-hmm. It's criminal. Mm-hmm. Anyway, see, when you look at Kelly's, it looks like a, like an even surface, all kind of turf. It's like, at Livingston, it's like different colours. Like it just looks so uneven, the, the pitch. And mm-hmm. you can see the blacks, the black specks like coming out, and it's like, and you just kind of think when you go and you play football at home, and you'd go home and you'd have to like just like tip your boots out yeah, so that yeah. you don't that's obviously around it. It's that kind of level of bad. And they play in the Premiership. Was it was it Jamie Murphy who did his ACL against Kelly on that pitch? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's just another problem. Is just the injuries that can happen from it. Now, I don't think he actually played for Rangers again since that, did he? I don't think the fact that probably only had eight goals at home last year with that pitch is a coincidence. Players walking eggshells in those kind of pitches. As you would expect them to, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Struan, one notable absence from Livingston's squad was striker Lyndon Dykes, who looks set to complete a move down south to Queen's Park Rangers, we believe, and the Championship for a reported fee of about £2 million. It almost seemed a bit inevitable that Dykes would leave Livingston, but the club held on for a greater fee after rejecting advances earlier in the year. With the transfer window window open, do you reckon Livingston should try and replace Dykes straight away with another uh, big name up front, or have faith in the likes of Jack Hamilton, who get kind of dropped into the team on Sunday and reinvest the cash into the rest of their squad? Um, I think it's quite hard to tell on on that performance against Rangers. You know how mm-hmm. how effective Jack Hamilton will be. I think they'll maybe give it a bit more time because I don't I don't think the window closes until at least October, yep. so they've got a few games to kind of test out the squad and and see if they will need him but, but he will be a massive loss to them no doubt and they have brought in some quite good um, forwards in the window like Alan Forrest from Air United so I think they've already spent a bit in that area so they'll be a bit hesitant to straight away see mm-hmm. if they need to uh, just just a fun fact with the, the Dykes move uh, before we move on I, I, sent, I sent this into a group chat last night I don't know if everyone saw it but if the £2 million fee is correct Livingston will have made more money from Le- from Lyndon Dykes than Aberdeen have made from Graham Shinney, Gary McKay-Steven, Stevie May, Johnny Hayes, Kenny McLean, Niall McGinn, Peter Paula and Lauren Shanklin combined. That's criminal. 
I mean, it just kind of goes to show that there might have to be a bit of a change in transfer policy up north. Uh, just if Aberdeen have been able to let all those go, all those players go for un- underappreciated fees or undervalued fees, I suppose. Uh, Struan, we're going to come right back to you here because we're going to move on and discuss Hibernian's 0-0 job with Motherwell at Easter Road on Saturday. Uh, despite new boy Alex Gogic settling on, settling well into Hibs's midfield with Joe Newell, Motherwell's midfield overran the pair in this fixture. What was your take on the game? Uh, I think Hibs were quite lucky at times to even still be in the game. I think, as you said, the Motherwell midfield is arguably the third best behind Celtic and Rangers in the league. I think they were very strong. I know it was clear throughout the game that United were just sorry Motherwell were just dominating that part of the pitch, and I think it was fifty six minutes before Allen and Halberg came on, and it, it made. A slight difference, but it wasn't great. There was an offside goal as well, which probably one of the latest I've ever seen a lineup put mm-hmm. up the flag. I, I, I got so confused by that one. We need need VAR in Scotland, but yeah, it's, there's there's positives to take away from Hibs as well, though. I think based on that game, to come away with a point is probably seen as a good result, given how dominant Motherwell were throughout the ninety. I think I think there would be a fair few folk that would argue argue your point about VAR. There, it's it's a conversation for another day, but uh, Graham, despite a much better performance from Motherwell in this one, uh, they recorded their third blank of the season, only mustering two goals in four games so far. Uh, what did what do they really need to do to get scoring again, especially considering both goals against Livingston in that two all draw were scored by midfielders? Oh, I think it's just the thing is that the strikers have been so poor so far this season. And after the Olympic game on Wednesday, you, Robinson went through the team in the post-match interview, mm. and by all accounts, the main victim of that, or the main target of that, was Chris Long, and that he, it's like he wants a move or something, I don't know if he wants a move, and he just can't be bothered, but that he's not putting in the effort. And so far, Jordan White's been quite unlucky, he's had two disallowed goals, but from other world, their strikers just are at the level of their midfielders. You look at that midfield, and they've got Turnbull, they've got Campbell, even Paul were through a good season last year, and that's their main creative outlet. Whereas up front, I'm not nearly as confident in their side of finishing, at creating chances. Think things do need to turn around, especially if Motherwell do want to kind of top the top the kind of best of the rest charts again. Uh, elsewhere in the league on over the weekend, Ross County recorded their first loss of the season in a two-one defeat to Dundee United, who have seven points in their first four games and are really are turning up quite well in the step up, especially considering Shankland has not been involved for uh, three out of those four games. It's further adding fuel to the relegation fire as St Mirren eked out a 1-0 win over Hamilton, making it three defeats in three for the Buddies. We've talked about it extensively kind of on other podcasts and away from the uh, recordings, but I'm going to ask it with caution again. Nope. is is it time for Hamilton to drop into the championship Taylor I'll come to you first with this one because I feel like it's going to be a fairly big discussion is it time long past it will it happen nope certainly won't (laughs) honestly you'll see them go on probably a record breaking streak at some point they need to win like 6 out of 7 games and they will somehow and 2 of them will be against the old firm you you, you know what will happen It's, it's Hamilton it's the fact is they just they can as Graham said the other day, Hamilton can pull the bunny out of the hat. They know how to do it. And I don't understand how, but yeah, they shouldn't be in that league. It's just they just don't deserve to be in that league. 
Well, I'm saying that they do have to stay up, but they're just such, such, such negative football, and it's just time they take their turn in a different division. Seriously. So, so you're saying, so you're saying you don't want them in the league anymore, but you don't think you're going to be rid of them come the end of the oh, season? No, I won't. They'll, they will still be here next start of next season, and they'll still make that up that twelve man league. It's. <laughs> I'm convinced that Hamilton could finish on zero points and somehow they'd still not go down. <laughs> yeah, like oh. somebody get a minus point deduction for breaking a rule or something. Yeah, Aberdeen. Aberdeen. More. <laughs> Aberdeen eight becomes at the Aberdeen sixty or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Aberdeen negative eight because that's how many points they get docked for it. That was horrible. Uh, Stuart, Stuart, are you are you in this agreement? Do you think we'll we'll see Hamilton in the league next year or are we? Is it time for them to to go? I think we probably will see them. I, I don't that's think that's them staying up then. <laughs> That'll be Struid's confirmed it now. He's optimistic about a team for once. Yeah, I know this. This isn't a bit. This is a bit unusual here, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, Leeds finally got promotion. Some strange things have happened. It might be the year <laughs> Hamilton go down. You never, you never know what could happen. But they're pro- they're probably going to stay up, aren't they? It's just. I, th- I think the next game is against Motherwell, so mm-hmm. that could be that could be the beginning already after just four games. Or they've only played three, I believe. But they've only played three. They'll, yeah, they'll so be that's far. There's, there's no point. Well, we'll look forward to seeing whether we we see Hamilton next season or not. Uh, Graham, I'll ask you what ha- what Hamilton have been doing wrong. Uh, their team's crap. Plain and simple. It's a, they've lost, they lost lots of played lost Govic, lost McGowan in the summer. They haven't replaced them suitably. They're, they don't have the money to replace them with good players. They're relying on youngsters, including some really good ones that I'm obligated to see an amazing yeah. on the right winger. Uh, but the squad's still miles behind the rest of the league. They've got the worst squad in the league, the worst players in the league, and they are where they should be. And yet, you're still backing them to stay up. Hmm? And yeah, of course. They're <laughs> terrible. They'll stay up. They'll find something that I can't swear. Uh, <laughs> I they'll they'll stay up still. They'll be they'll never leave So long may Hamilton reign in, in the top in the top flight. Uh, just to wrap up the action in Scotland, uh, Kilmarnock suffered a late uh, smashing grab from St Johnston on Saturday, with ever prolific Michael O'Hallan Michael O'Halloran, sorry, netting the winner. Uh, this match leaves Kelly still looking for their first one of the season, while the victory for St Johnston was their first of the season. To be honest, I don't really have much to say about this game, um, but just wanted to make a note of Kelly losing. Again, we're in a position where they were winning and were holding on for at least a point after Ross Mellon's red card. Just, just, just in case Sean tunes into this one and ha- wants to hear our thoughts on the Kelly game. I mean, does, does anyone have any on the Kelly game? I mean, I didn't really see much about it I just thought it was quite funny no not really just I think Kelly just going to be that team that's just going to be kicking about my table that's it kicking about about it's very apt with Kelly yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's telling of the team where they're heavily relying on a 36 year old for for all their goals it's it's quite sad really (laughs) (laughs) just kicking about it that big cut no, big, big, uh, big, uh, Mr. Mr. Chris Burke. Mr. Chris Burke. Yeah. Oh, right. That free kick he scored. Is, I think it's going to be 37 as well this year, but the free kick he scored against Hibs was phenomenal. Is he up to three now this season? He, he's joint top scorer with Nisbet and Edward. Oof, that's good company to be in. 
<laughs> World class youngster and that, that French striker at Celtic. <laughs> he, would, he would say that, to be fair. I'm with you, it's very, very funny. Absolutely. I swear, every time you speak to Sean about that free kick, it gets like five or ten yards further back every time he mentions it. So I think when we when first talked about it, it was 30, and now it's up to 70. 70 yards free kick. So by the time the season ends, he'll have been scoring the free kick from air. He'll have gone that far back from the goal. He'll have netted it in, in the old Bernabeu from Somerset Park. Oh. Uh, we'll, mo- we'll move on because there's been more football other than the Scottish Premiership as the quarterfinals of the Champions League concluded on Saturday evening with PSG, RB Leipzig, Bayern Munich and Lyon making it through to the semi-finals. As we mentioned earlier, Bayern completely dominated Barcelona on Friday night and I really struggled to think of a time where a Barca team shipped eight goals over two legs, let alone in a single match. Struan, as a massive Bayern fan yourself, of course... Uh, could this be an indication and say that Bayern do go on to win this tournament? Uh, could we potentially see a bit of a Bavarian dynasty in Europe over the next couple of years? Uh, I, th- I think Bayern Munich have got to be the clear favourites now if they weren't already, to be honest. I think some people... I, I thought City would go on to win it myself, but I, th- I think now Bayern Munich are probably the favourites just ahead of PSG. But I think I think that Bayern Munich team is, is honestly phenomenal. I think there's not a single position in that pitch that isn't already occupied by a top-class, world-class player and another one that can come on from the bench. Of course, Leroy Sani is going to join in this team as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think one of the most things is, is Thiago is one of the best midfielders in world football and he's likely to leave, but they can just bring Goretzka and play beside Kimmich in the midfield and it's not going to be too much of an issue for them. I think it's... It's good. There's there's a few older players like Müller and Lewandowski, but they are still performing at the highest level. I mean, yeah, Müller's had one of the best seasons of his life. Lewandowski potentially has been robbed of a Ballon d'Or, so I yep. don't think I'll, that... I'll I'll die on that hill. Lewandowski is been robbed. Is. FIFA are still doing their the best award, so hopefully there'll be some justice for him there. That's not the same. It's it's just not, is it though? But it, it's 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 better than nothing. You've you've got Nabry, Coleman, Perisic on the wings already, which is incredibly strong. Plus, Leroy Sani is about to come in for what's forty nine million he cost, I think. And there's just young players like Pavar Davis. I think all over the pitch they're signing Nubel from Schalke as well to mm-hmm. be the long term successor to Manuel Neuer. So I just think this Bayern Munich team have been, they've just been reshaped. They've replaced Robin and Ribery in the space of two years. You know, Barca still haven't replaced Puyol, Xavi, and Iniesta after many years and that. And I just think the way Bayern Munich are going, they probably could win the Champions League for a few years. Maybe not in success, but I think they've got to be favourites. The one team that was in the left in the quarterfinals just have no kinks in the armor. Like, mm-hmm. There's not yeah. looking at that team, and I thought, and I saw them, and I saw, oh, they've got Sani coming in and replaced Perisic on the left. That's maybe their only weakness. And then Perisic went and played in a quality game. Yeah. He was a good player. He's always had it in his locker. They just, there's no area where you think they're weak. Pavard's injured at the moment. They just put Kimmich back in. He becomes one of the best right backs in the world again. But he's also one of the best CDMs. The only kind of worry is I think Thiago is so important for them and it looks as though he is gone. It, it, yeah. it does look more likely day by day. Uh, hard play to place. Absolutely. I think for years, I don't I don't know why more people haven't been talking about Thiago. Yeah, I think... injuries have been... And injuries haven't helped him, but he is so just fun to watch. I think he's got such a talent with the ball at his feet. And can yeah. just glide past players with ease. Football's become such a stat-based game at the same time. 
Yeah. And on Friday, Tiago had an assist, didn't score a goal. But you don't think he had like a number, a, a tackle or anything like that. And yeah, he was one of the big game's best players. Mm-hmm. Just doing the unseen things. Like every, quite, every team needs that though, don't they? I mean, you talk about the kind of Busquets rule at Barcelona, but it goes it goes the other way as well in terms of kind of being able to make those yards up in the attack and be able to carry the ball forward and get the kind of. So I think I'd seen I'd seen a Twitter account talking pre assists at some point in the That's last kind of couple of months. Oh, That's wow. disgusting. So if, oh. if, 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 is Paul Scholes finally going to get his recognition of pre assists? <laughs> Well, I don't think so because I think it was an Arsenal Twitter page about uh, a semi-final, so it's going to that level. But I do agree. I think players like Thiago really do need more appreciation. One player Struan mentioned there that I want to talk to you, Graham, about was that man Alfonso Davis. That um, why me? After why me? after that after that performance, a lot of people were quick to put him up there with the best left backs in world football at the moment at the current moment in time and with some even going as far as say he is the best slander I, I, I had a feeling you would have something to say about it so make, make, your, make your case against him I don't think I really can oh, I just think that Robertson's done it for it's him, it's him and Andy Robertson I think there's more to David I think he's flashier but I still don't think good stats Robertson has still had 11 assists that's more than Davis has had He's probably a better defend, like better defender in terms of like actual defensive. Mm-hmm. Don't rely on athleticism. I think including athleticism Davis has got and be obviously. I think Davis will be become better. But right now, I think he's just got to just let it keep going for a little bit longer before you consider him on the same level as Andy Robertson, who's produced for one of the best teams in the world for multiple years now. On a note, in Bayern Munich, by the way, they've got to win the Champions League for football. They've for got football. yeah, they've got to do it for football. They obviously I would have liked them or Leon to be in the final, but that can't happen. But they've one of the two need to probably Bayern Munich need to win it for football. I ain't having money went buying a Champions League. So I think that's unfair to Leipzig to be honest with you. I know that they kind of made their way with money, but they're not near the level of buying stuff. Oh, no, PSG. No. no, they're not in the level of PSG, but like they're still. Up there, the fact is they broke the the Bundesliga code. They they had like fifty to one, just then basically, just to basically break their way into that. And the money that they pump in for sponsors is unreal. It's got to. I know Bayern Munich definitely probably do spend a lot of money, but as you say, they are glad that they're run by a club that loves fans. Their season tickets are ridiculously cheap, like ridiculously. Mm-hmm. And they care about their fans. They care. They care about basically putting on a good show and all that. But they just kind of have like PSG or Leipzig winning it through through like just sheer money. I'm not. It, it, would, <laughs> it would be a treble winning if Bayern or PSG win it overall. It would or be. It would, you're it would right. Be a treble, which is add a little bit of spice to it. I know, but that, that, that your Chris Eubank coming through this year. <laughs> it's stupendous. <laughs> Taylor, I do, I do like your wee contradictory statement to yourself because you, I, I heard you, you said Bayern have definitely, probably spent a, a lot of money. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> the best way I could put it. They, they have spent a lot of money. They have spent a lot of money, but the difference is, I feel like they have earned it. Mm. I'm not saying that PSG haven't, but we all know why PSG have that much money. Let's look at Neymar signing for them. 
Well, well, we'll keep. We'll talk about what might end up being considered as, as the money match of the of the Champions League so far, because we've kind of get new money versus even newer money, but just a bit less money, and uh, Leipzig versus PSG in the semi final. Uh, I suppose the question is really kind of looking at the two teams. Do we think Leipzig really um, can stand up to the quality that PSG bring, especially if Kylian Mbappe is coming back into the picture? Um, he got some minutes against. Uh, Atalanta in the quarterfinal. Do we, do we see Leipzig being able to eat past them, or is it PSG's time to finally make it to a Champions League final? We'll come to Struan for it. I I think Leipzig could do. I I wasn't actually that impressed with PSG against Atalanta. I thought they were very disorganised all over the pitch. They looked good in the final third, but I just thought defensively in the midfield it just wasn't just wasn't quite it. I think they were very strange midfield made up of Idris Aganagay, Marquinhos, Nando Herrera, who I think could all basically do the exact same role. I thought that was a bit strange. And a lot of people say that PSG, you know, it's very individual. A player plays for themselves rather than for the team. And I, and I just felt against Atalanta, they were quite open a few times. Navas had to make a lot of saves right at the beginning and then actually got injured. But I, th- I think the Leipzig midfield is strong. The defence is strong. I just think up front they looked a bit toothless without Werner. I, I just, I don't think Poulsen was really it. I don't think Patrick Schick offered anything, but if if they can get a 1-0 lead, I, I do believe that they could hold this game out, and even if Mbappe starts or comes off the bench, I still, other than Mbappe and Neymar, didn't really see too much threat. I thought Sarabia was pointless on the pitch. I thought Icardi didn't really offer much, and I think Di Maria's injured. But then again, of course, there's Chupamoting, who could come on and, and save the, the game. Day. Save yeah, the day. <laughs> change the game completely. And, and Julian Drax was at the club as well, but I, I, I think Leipzig could definitely get something here, but I don't think it's going to be the most entertaining of wins if they do. Graham, do you agree with Strange's points there? Mostly, yeah. I do think Leipzig have a good chance. Like, I've not been impressed. Outside of Neymar and Mbappe, uh, PSG look kind of weak. Midfield, there's no Verratti and no Di Maria, and they're both not fit, I don't think. So it is kind of poor in the middle and at the back, they're quite old. And Leipzig have some great players. I think Danny Olmo's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And he's good young players. And Kunku's great. And he's going up against a former club. Ultimately, I think that Neymar and Papi will still be too much for him. Neymar was just... I know he couldn't score, but he was just unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last week against At- Atalanta. And if, if Neymar's in that kind of mood, there's not really any stopping him. And I think he will be today. I think PSG will take it, but I think it'll be a close game. I actually think it could be a good game. I don't think Leipzig are the kind of team that are going to sit back. No, definitely not. It's it's probably the best chance PSG have had in recent years to actually get the Champions League. No, 100%. I think this, they're probably looking at it as well as the team that they've got now and looking around the ages. I think they will really fancy that this this should be their year. I don't think any team thinks that because of the one-legged knockout fight, any team should be thinking this is our best chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. It's just two games to go, and the two games between uh, going home and going home with glory. If you want to put a, I think, I think if you like had a normal two like a tie, I think City would have went through. Yeah, I think, I yeah. think, I think would have went through. It does, it's a completely different kind of way we're looking at the competition now, and I'll be interested to see how kind of teams that got this far now whether they will get this kind of as far again next uh, season should they get back in the competition, but. Uh, of course, PSG, they're not the only French team left in the competition. Lyon surprised a fair few people with a 3-1 win over title hopefuls Manchester City, with Pep Guardiola's side crashing out of the competition yet again. 
The result prompted a tweet from none other than the aforementioned Kylian Mbappe poking fun at those who consider League 1 to be that of a farmer's league. Taylor, with English club performance in Europe this season, the question remains, and the question's come up recently, and, and as David Mitchell would say, are we the farmers? Uh, yeah, I would say out of top five leagues, if they've got a call, MD, a farmer's league, Premier League did perform the worst this season. They were like the, out of the top five leagues anyway, they were bottom, so... I feel like they do have a cheek of calling other leagues a farmers league. It's, I just don't think uh, teams such as PSG literally make that league look so easy because of really how good they are. Like I feel like it'll be in years to come we'll realise how good PSG were going through this spell. But it's seriously, it, you don't get to a semi-final of Champions League for just being a farmers league no. and beating and beating teams like week in, week out. It's the mentality they have, the ability. And Leon as well, by the way, as proven. It's clearly, it takes a lot to beat Leon, and not many teams can do it. But it's definitely, I would say, these leagues like Spain, Bundesliga, Italy, France, all of them, how, you kind of call them a farmers league just because it doesn't get as much publicity as we, like the Premier League gets. But they've got so much ability in that, and 100%. Um, as you said, I think the Premier League need to have a look at themselves and realise they might be starting to become the farmers. <laughs> I mean, uh, Graham, do we reckon it's a case of kind of almost kind of domestic bias from the uh, broadcasters that we are seeing recently? Because I think it was Friday night after the Bayern game, there wasn't really an awful lot of time spent on that, and instantly people were just talking about Man City playing the next day. Um, is it a case of kind of? almost an over-willingness to back the team from home and not be kind of fair and look professionally at the other teams that would um, go further like Leon did and compete with them. To an extent, yeah. I mean, I think it's understandable that the British or the English broadcasters will focus more on the English teams, but the level that BT Sport went to was just too, too far. It was, it was beyond, it was, became obnoxious to the other teams and mm-hmm. disrespectful to them. He just showed, especially particularly Leon, who he just showed no respect at all. Uh, like I said, I think uh, it's just a case. It's kind of been the thing. It's always the thing when England go to championships. It's like England will win their first game against Panama or Tunisia. Like here's England's route to the final. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. the way the broadcasters are in that league, in that in that country. Sorry, but there is a level to it, and I think too many times those kind of broadcasters go too far, and it's disrespectful to their teams. It it just did sit quite uncomfortably with me just over the over the kind of Friday and Saturday when there just wasn't really a lot of respect shown for anyone apart from the English team. But I suppose that that's the luxury you've got talking about English football from up here in Scotland. You can still kinda of nitpick away at the shortcomings of the league and the subsequent subsequent broadcasters. One of the key things about it is that they have all these extras it's never it's always extra pros somebody's somebody's dropped something. Uh, it's just, it's, it's just always ex-pros that are on the broadcast. It's always it's like Manaman, it's Ferdinand, it's Hargreaves, it's Scholes. They don't know anything about Leon. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. They don't. Mm-hmm. You know, they know nothing about Leon. If we had people like Michael Cox, James Horncastle, yep. Horncastle, Julian, Julian Laurent, they were they were the guys that were actually getting talked about. It would be better the coverage, mm-hmm. but 
they want the star power rather than the. There's just an Neanderthal attitude that some people people tune into often the guests. Like it has got to be a former footballer rather than just actually get good football coverage. Just stupid attitude, in my opinion. Hopefully, they kind of take a bit of a reaction from their kind of feedback because I don't think we were the only ones sharing in that sentiment in the sense that it was quite disrespectful and unprofessional in a way. But time will tell whether that does improve in the future. Uh, to wrap up today's show, I just wanted to talk about something near and dear to our hearts uh, and the boys that are on the show today. In fantasy football, uh, we've been attempting to compete in a Scottish Premiership fantasy game for the last few weeks. But as of the actions of Celtic and Aberdeen and fair injuries, uh, it's left us stressed out with team selection. And to put it simply, when Taylor's top of a league, you know Thank something's you. horribly wrong. Thank you. So I think because thankfully, uh, fantasy Premier League game for down in England, it returned on Friday and we could start building our teams for the new season. We can brush the Scottish game under the carpet and just forget that Taylor was ever in the possession of power. Yeah. <coughs> uh, there's been new players added, new prices, new positions. Aubameyang's now a midfielder, for whatever reason. Uh, boys, I'm not wanting to spend an awful lot of time along on this because uh, Energy Sports already got a dedicated show for this. It's our show, of course. But the, the question I've got for each of you, who's one player that you're hoping to get the most out of this year in in fantasy. Graham, as the, the reigning champion of the league of the of our personal league, I couldn't get Braidwood on. But uh, as reigning champion of our personal league, I'll come to you with this question first. Who are we picking? Let's find the let's find the diamonds in the rough. Is I'm it that gonna, time? I'm, I'm just I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna shout out to my man strewn over there. Mason Greenwood's in the team. Uh, Mateus Pereira confirmed uh, today mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at West Brom. Chelsea's new players, Ziyech and Werner. There's a lot of good options. I haven't done, honestly, haven't done much investigating yet, so I'm just gonna throw names out. You ha you ha you are currently sitting with the name placeholder FC mm -hmm. because you've just ran randomly thrown players into the team to get you registered rather than sitting down and doing it seriously. When people see the league champion in Jack, they get worried. <laughs> they think, oh crap, he's in here. But some like of being some a celebrity <laughs> in public, you've effectively got your hat and sunglasses on with that name. <laughs> Keeping a low profile until we begin. Placeholder FC. Uh, some, some, of the, some of the members of the, of the league now, they won't know that you, you, you are a league champion because we've got some uh, random people from Twitter. We're very welcoming of, the, of them all. And the boys that just like join they're in like a thousand leagues. I, I tweeted from the account using hashtag FPL and we got like seven new people in the league within an hour just because I put the code in and I did it quite quickly after it got announced. I think Stephen Ochiang is going to have a great year. I think I think Ras Guru is going to is going to be up there contending <laughs> for the, the. He's a guru, so he he will know exactly what he's doing. <laughs> Uh, Taylor, <laughs> you back in to get some? Are, are you are you already looking for the next uh, John Lundstrom and Martin Kelly? Oh, then 
The next John Lundstrom is definitely 100% going to be Antonio for West Ham. That's that's it, I'm telling you. He, he's got to have a wonder season. That's it. That makes no sense. Can, you no. can't be a John Lundstrom if you've been in the league for however many years. And you're already oh, you mean like you want me or the Oh, right, right. Okay, sorry, I misunderstood <laughs> that question. <laughs> uh, no, it's going to be Kyle Walker-Peters. Without a doubt. Okay. For Southampton. He is that. He's made for that. He's going to just be getting assist after assist. And I'm telling you. Him and Armstrong are going to have a connection link up. But the player that's going to get you hundreds of points this season, without a doubt, is a Bamiang. He's a midfielder, but he plays a striker. More attacking options. Boom. You, you will get um, more points for a goal in that case, which could, could lead to him being kind of putting people's team over De Bruyne as a premium option. But I think if you don't have De Bruyne in your team personally, you're a fool. Oh, De Bruyne and Bamiang, I splash it the cash for the two. You've, done, you've you put both? Yeah, I'll work my way around them. I don't care, they're going to get me the points here one me this league. I'm winning it. You want the next Lundstrom, Jack? You want, you want the next Lundstrom? Yeah, give me the next Lundstrom, Graham. This is a deep push. I can't get hate with it. Wolves left wing back, Ruben Vinagre. I've been, oh. I've been hearing good things. I, I think he could be a pick-up, to be that honest. That is the next John Lundstrom. A boy that... that I don't think him in as a left wing back, him in as a midfielder, is a defender in fantasy football, importantly, and is going to be moving into Will's left wing back and taking that, making that position his own next season. Ruben Vinagre is going to be the next John Lundstrom. At 4.5 million as well, is a cheap option. Yes, Very cheap. I, I, I toyed with the idea of putting him in, but currently that would, leave, that would have left me with three Will's players, and I'm trying not to overcommit to one team so I can spread out my point games. I took the gamble and put Aki in. Reputation, yeah, but I feel like he's not gonna sign Aki for like forty odd million and just not play him as much. I don't can see Pep Guardiola thinks <laughs> yes he is. I just Cancelo says hi So it's true and how how about yourself? Who who are you backing to get you some good points, someone in your team? Well, I I think there's 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 three probably must picks in terms of quite expensive ones. I, th- I think Trent Alexander Arnold is is a must pick. I think clean sheets assists. He's, he's the ideal defender. De Bruyne obviously I think's got to be up there. And I don't, I think I'd also include Bruno Fernandes in that now. Of course he would. Because as we know, United are probably going to get at least twenty penalties next season. He's going to take every single one of them. He doesn't tend to miss. He's probably going to get a goal a game. He, seems to pop up with an assist as well. So I think if you want a cheaper alternative to De Bruyne, he's it's not that much cheaper than De Bruyne, but if you, if you need that extra two or three million safe there. But I also I also like Abamyang and Greenwood. Now that they're both midfielders, they can get clean and cheap bonus points as well. I think that's very useful. They could get the assist as well and they're probably I think they're both guaranteed stars next season regardless. So I th- I think they'd be very, very good options to to look into. And I think in terms of goalkeepers, I'd personally either go for Nick Pope or Alison Ederson. I think Alison Ederson also have that little bonus of getting an assist at it, some point throughout the season. Absolutely. Well, I'm I'm just I'm just looking at the kind of statistics of the of the players in the league as by as by the threat of players. Uh, Mohamed Salah is top of that list. He is the most th- apparently the most threatening player in the league. When you look at like back down the list, adds up. It does add up. You've got Sterling in there, Jimenez, Bobby Firmino, apparently, despite not really being able to score at home. Uh, Jesus is up there. Uh, Sir Daniel of Ings, 
is up there. I, I could I couldn't decide to keep, commit to him or Jimenez. I'm not sure. Jimenez is still getting touted for a move away, but I'm just not sure Southampton are going to have the same kind of season they are next year. I would like them to because I like Southampton, but I'm not sure. I realise we're wasting a lot of this good content talking about <laughs> Fancy Premier League on a non-Fancy Premier League show. We, we really should, should be saving all this for for our own, but who knows when that's coming back. Ramble. For, for the old ramble. Uh, but if anyone listening is interested in joining the Fancy Ramble League from us, uh, you can do so with the oh. new code. I'm going to have to memorise this, please. Oh. It's DPP RDJ. Well done. That's Robert, Robert Downey Jr. I'll remember that yep, for the ending. There, that, that makes things a bit easier. So with, with that realisation, that brings this episode of the Football Roundup to an end. Thank you very much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe to Energy Sport Podcast, whatever you get yours, and follow us over on Twitter at Energy Sport to make sure you don't miss out on any content from Napier's Finest, including a new article about setting the Champions League penned by our own Struan Garvey. Give, you, give yourself a, a shout-out for that one then, because I've fired that up today. Yeah, go, go check it out. It's basically just talking about Man City's Champions League ambitions over the past four years and a little bit on Guardiola as well. So it's, Oh, does Fraudiola get called out? No, I do not really. Well, you have to read the article. You'll have to. Uh, ah, there we go. There's a sale. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll give one thing. The title is, uh, is, is Deja Vu for City as, as a, a wee French pun, of course, that Leon Monaco defeats. Didn't even consider that, to be honest. Was, um, <laughs> Just, yeah. I always forget it's from there. Uh, anyway, a massive thank you to Graham Struan and Taylor for joining me today. I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been the Football Roundup. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.